Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that panel members are expressing their own views and opinions, which should not be construed as advice. The audience must carry out their own research and consult an appointed professional for advice. Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast, where in this episode we are talking about PropTech. Now, since the dot-com boom brought us Rightmove, PropTech has come a huge way. There's been a huge increase in interest and investment over the last five years. So in the UK alone, investment has gone up 15-fold in that time. And it really accelerated between 2020 and 21 with a five-fold increase. Now, with us here today, we have both PropTech experts and also the developers and architects who actually use PropTech every day in their day-to-day lives. So, I'm Hattie, I'm from Flowspace, we are a PropTech company, and I'd like to introduce, for my team to introduce themselves. Thank you. Um, hi, Robert Bias, Chartered Planning and Development Sphere, specialising in land acquisition, using technology on a day-to-day basis. Excellent. And uh, Hugh Gibbs, um, ex-planner by trade, uh, turned GIS officer, and one of the co-founders of a company called Searchland, which helps people search for land. And properties as well. Hi, I'm Amdeep Kalra. I'm an architect and urban designer. I'm an associate at B First, and I'm thinking of ways every day in how to bring technology into the workplace. Faith Lotchkin, development manager, uh, similar to Amandeep, I just have a huge interest in prop tech, and I think it is the way forward in the real estate industry. Hi, Gonzalo Marcosini. I'm an ex uh, RICS surveyor turned prop tech founder. It can be done. Um, and I'm the founder of Rencap, a PropTech startup, so happy to be, happy to be here. Hi, Ojai. Um, I'm a chartered surveyor. Uh, first degree was in computer science, so have a vested interest in technology. Always looking at how um, we can use technology, utilise technology, especially construction. Um, currently working at um, Chorus Group, uh, our regional director. Hi, my name is Joss Pink. Um, I'm managing director of Landstack, uh, standardised that provides standardised planning data across the whole of England and soon to be Wales. Very exciting! In- international expansion. That is actually a really interesting thing you can go into if you want, because I know we can talk about that for a while, but not an island. Well, exactly. Um, Right, so let's bring it back to PropTech. Um, So we're going to cover generally three areas. So firstly, are we generally behind as an industry? I think that's something people talk about a lot. Um, I'd like to understand from the PropTech companies, what was the driving force behind starting your companies? And have you achieved what you were set out to do? And we're also going to touch on the topic, do we need a different definition of PropTech? Is technically all, are all companies now tech companies really? Um, so I think I'll start with my um, first question, which comes to this the general refrain behind prop tech or contech, is that we are behind other industries such as fintech, legal tech, insure tech. Is this true, and why? Um, Rob, <laughs> what's your experience? So as a consumer, the biggest biggest challenge I have in generations is that older generations are more reluctant to adopt it. So in my day-to-day role, you might do something uh, through using technology sources to make things a bit faster, smoother, and easier. 
and there may be resistance to follow up with it and you have to go through a more archaic means to push it forward. So it's kind of, it's putting a business case forward over a medium term and I think put the effort in now to try and change it will hopefully make a positive impact for the industry. So we have a, we have a barrier internally when even when yeah. companies come with solutions yeah. um, to actually getting them adopted internally. Absolutely. Yeah. And Hugh, you've come from a more, let's say, traditional background and now into the prop tech industry. How have you found um, encouraging people to adopt your product? Uh, that's a difficult one. Where do I start? Um, for some people, it's hard to mind. You really have to educate them on why it's worth it. Why? Because a lot of what we do is I rarely want to do a demo of the platform. I rarely show someone they've never something they've never seen before. Um, it's the same planning app. It's the same land registry. It's the same constraint. Um, so a lot of the education around it is saying why it's worth paying for something that loves to do this. And it's like what you say, it's, um, it's speed. That's the number one thing. Speed of something, but actually when you get them on that hook that, hey, you can do your job faster, you can free up this time, you can say, well, now look at all the stuff that you missed, look at all the stuff you left on the table. Um, good example, if you're searching for a planning application, uh, I had a, when I was working as a planning consultant, I was asked to find comparable apps for a former um, equestrian land conversion, so an old paddock, right? Not that many of them. Um, took me about two days to find five applications and did it on search land. I called up my director when we launched and said, hey, remember that, that task you made me do? Uh, check this out. Two keywords, former and equestrian, thousand applications. Amazing. It's like, it's, it's, it is amazing, but it shouldn't be. It's kind of like, it's kind of like now I've got them, and then the work begins. Mm, so yeah. it's, that's, that's, the, that's our approach. So my belief, uh, rightly or wrongly, is that one of the barriers is the uh, heterogeneity of real estate. Like every single building is different, every site is different. Um, what, what has your experience been, let's take you Amandeep, in terms of um, your work um, adopting technology when every single thing that you're dealing with is, is, has a different aspect to it? I, I, I can come from the angle of when uh, there's, there's softwares now on the market talking about site um, capacity study based appraisal. So mm -hmm. you will have um, apps that will be able to run a multitude of options on a site based on a set of parameters and mixes to give you an idea of what um, numbers might look like. Now, I've always felt as a, an architect that is a part of your role that really should be gone to a machine because often all that that's used to generate is to create a strategic brief to understand appraisals to un it is it's very rarely actually about design at that stage and I think designers can get too bogged up in understanding design there when actually the, the purpose of that exercise is understanding metrics suitability because that site might kill a project to begin with so there's definitely space where there's a lot of inefficiencies done with designers all across different projects where you will do 10 options on a site or whatever. There's apps such as a government GLA launched app called Prism, very clunky to use at the moment, mm -hmm. but I think there is other apps like that right now that actually allow you to put a bunch of parameters that suit your organization. And you can, again, like you said, it's, and then what? Like you've done that, you've understood that viability works, then you can go and go to a designer and go, right, we know we need X amount of units with these uses, let's begin. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, our team does that in quite a manual way. And I know for a fact that that, that is a process that we want to automate. I think 
part of the reason why it's been so slow to be adopted is because the industry itself is very slow. Um, so if you talk to a house builder or a land agent, they'll have deals that are going. And you know, if you're thinking strategic, that's 10 to 15 years, right? And so if they've got their site, there's certain things they might need to monitor, right? But you know, they're only, they're only looking for one, two, three pieces of land and it takes a while to bring them through the pipeline. So if you're saying to them, we could save you a load of time, they'll only be thinking about that as a really good thing to look at when it comes to them needing to find a piece of land. And so depending mm -hmm. on how much land a company has, we're talking from a land point of view, I think that's one reason. And then to, to answer your initial question, are we, uh, you know, is, it, um, is the industry performing well from a digital point of view or not compared to others? I think the answer is both, yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, I think Hugh and uh, both hit the nail on the head is that um, the people in the industry, especially older generation, struggle to pick up new technology um, because they've done it for so long in, in, in you know, mm. the same way. And also it's a heavily, it's a relationship-based industry. Um, it's not a, you know, so it's very much a case of, uh, if I'm a house builder, I know the agents that I'll go to to, to find my land. Mm. and no, Or if I'm an agent, I know the house builders I'll go to to sell my land. Mm. And so, you know, from a point of view from them, it works that way. I know the person I need to speak to. Why do I need um, any sort of technology involved yeah. there? So I think we spoke about it pre this as well, as it's kind of potentially new business models or changes to the way people work. Yeah. Um, it's going to be something that technology will change. Um, I think the industry is very opaque as it currently is, and I think technology will you know, bring transparency and, and essentially you know, allow people to work off the same page, you know, yeah. the same set of planning data. On that point, do you have any views? Yeah, in, ter in terms of are we behind other, other sectors, yeah. first of all, I don't think we're, we're competing against them, so I think uh, I, I'm not sure if that relates too well. But yeah, obviously we've seen what happens in fintech, we've seen what happens with blockchain and now the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's gold, people will rush. <laughs> and that can only happen where they have, when they ha where kind of people that can build companies and understand the tech un have the information to be able to understand problems and solve them. Our industry, there's a gap in information between the traditional players who myself previously, some of yourselves now working in, in the development space, not, not being able to know yet exactly what you can do with some really good technology yeah. in your space. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, we've got tech people on, on the outside, which are the ones rushing into these other gold mines mm -hmm. that are not rushing here. And my reason for that is why? Is it because there's no gold? No, there is gold. <laughs> there's loads of opportunities. The problem is they don't understand the problems because yeah. you need to be quite a specialist in this sector to understand the problems in conveyancing, in housing, in development, in architecture, in whatever it might be that you do, each of those little pots, there's gold, there's gold to be found, but we need to kind of balance that gap. And I think the ones that are gonna do it are the insiders. So I was an insider, Hugh was an insider, <laughs> you guys are insiders. insiders. Like we that. need to know that technology we need to know what we can do with technology and have a way to be able to implement that. And mm. that's that's when it'll it'll go as fast as it does in other sectors. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'd argue that even within the context of built environment, right? Because we talk about prop tech right now, but you know, I've talked about context because constructions mainly um, what what I specialize in. Um, but I think I think context is potentially even behind prop prop tech. I'm not saying we're competing, mm -hmm. but there's a number of people here that are are prop tech. Um, I think there's ways um, in terms of ways that. Built buildings are built, 
processes that are taken that can be autom automated. I think if, if we look at even the developments that's happening currently with the digital twins um, and, and, and the lessons that can be learned from that, I, I do think that as an industry, yes, that there's lessons that can be learned. Mm. I think we are behind and I think actually property's starting to lead the way, but I think also context got got a way to it go. come to, yeah, actually, Andy, do you have, you're looking at digital twins at the moment? I am looking to pilot this. You mentioned Gold Gonzalez, like mm. the maintenance industry is as archaic as it gets. The asset management and maintenance industry, particularly when it comes to resident, try and extract data from anyone about you know, how many uh, maintenance call-outs have you had to do in these three blocks on this specific no idea? There's no, mm -hmm. there's no good log for it. And even to the point, there's still lots of people still um, reporting things through a phone um, by calling a call centre who then logs that manually on paper, who then send that. That's happening right now on so many. So there's something I'm trying to pilot right now, which is if effectively digital twin plus, I call it, because taking a BIM model of, uh, as build model of a building, but enriching that with both qualitative data from residents, um, data from uh, the buildings itself, so in terms of output of energy and utility, add that to layers of sensor-based data, so air quality monitoring, daylight levels, um, occupancy sensors, humidity and temperature. And then when you layer multiple sources of data, you can start asking interesting questions. You can start talking about proactive maintenance, where um, a humidity sensor is able to detect humidity and damp building up in a place before it happens yeah. and you're able to nudge those residents or you're able to come in and go actually you've not been opening your window you switched off your MVHR and we can just tell that within within two three sensors it's about connecting data points and right now they're just so so far behind so there's a project I'm piloting this on and again I think the culture bit you mentioned I'm trying to persuade various people that this mm -hmm. is but actually it means some industries just become obsolete you were talking earlier about lots of big giants going there's a change I need to do there, but that just means you are consuming yourself as an industry and going, actually, we don't need 50 people sitting there in a call centre. We don't need 20 people ready for call should we bring that? Should we bring that topic up? In yeah, terms of, yeah, yeah. We were, previously to the session, we were just having a quick conversation because we were getting excited earlier um, about what, what is PropTech and ComTech and all, all that sort of stuff and is kind of big players at the moment that, that are operating the market, the, um, the kind of JLLs, the Arabs, the, the Arcadises, whatever, when they digitize and adding extra digitization to the offerings that they're currently doing in their current business models, is that included as prop tech? I'm not here to say whether it is or isn't, but what I'm excited about is what we were discussing earlier, which is um, new business models. So I remember this, this early in my kind of startup phase, I read this awesome Harvard Business Review uh, article that said, new technology allows new business models, mm. right? So we can only do um, Uber because of the GPS and all the tracking that we've got. We can only do Airbnb because people start to become, uh, because of the sharing economy and all that mm. sort of stuff that became more normal. And other industries, when there's new technology, the business models do this, bang. New technology, bang. New de Our industry, we've had this much <laughs> new technology, <laughs> But we haven't closed that gap. We're nowhere close yeah. to it. So this, what I really love about you guys in this group is you're inspiring others to see what opportunities there are out there. And I want to say that that is the huge opportunity there is. Find your niche in that space and tackle it. That's a really good segue as well into actually your, your companies. Can you just give a sort of a 
20 second if possible like why what problem are you trying to solve with your business Joske? for us it's um planning data mm -hmm. um, i think it's the one big problem that um hasn't been solved by government so land reg is, is really a solved problem you know ordnance survey solve a huge number of problems but there's 300 plus local authorities in England, every single one of them provides their data in a different way. There's no standardization at all. And if you go from one local authority to another, it'll be presented in a completely different way. And so that's the uh, one of the big issues we're trying to solve. And then also uh, access to that data as well, to make it as accessible as possible to people and to combine it with other data sets. Yeah. And are you feeling that you're getting there? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've come a, a really long way. Um, it's always been one of those things that you think, like, when you start, you go, oh, a couple months, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the next thing. And then you realise three years in, you're like, oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, we've made huge strides. Um, and we're now sort of, it's one of those things for us, especially, it's been a lot of input that we didn't really see the rewards for until well, one and a half years down the line, yeah. two years down the line. And so now we're really seeing some dividends paying for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just think that's, a, that's an interesting point in terms of going back to the adoption um, side of things. I worked for some time for a developer who was investing in prop tech businesses, but because it takes so long to see the returns, mm -hmm. it's very hard to encourage mm -hmm. uh, people to put down the kind of money that you need um, to grow... And, and it's such a big numbers game as well because if you're especially if you're doing large land the number of the pieces of land you're going to look at that are controlled aren't going to work it's huge so mm. it's, it's very much a case of well you might look at 100 sites and none of them will be viable and it's soul crushing mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and so i think people get you know they step there and say oh, i spent all this money and i'm not getting anything out of it but the thing with land is one one land deal and you've paid you know the, the cost of the software back plus more you know it's, it's, yeah. it's a, a really good investment so and one problematic land deal yeah i mean the uh the you're right in the sense of those hundred sites you hopefully within those would have been ones that you might have gone oh that's actually interesting yeah. but instead you instantly know it's that sort yeah. of five minutes you of save them no 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 yeah months of that hassle yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right um so Hopefully that answers the Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Gonzalo, can you talk a little bit about how your company is changing the model, as you say? Um, yeah, so our, our business, so RenCap, essentially what we're doing is we're um, looking at how to make the development management process a lot more efficient. So development management is basically the process of taking a uh, building from inception and after you've got the site all the way through to construction, right? Loads of stages in there. At the moment, we're focused on one part, which is all about site investigation. So what we're trying to solve is the development risks that are humongous in the industry. So if you don't do surveys properly at the early stages, you get stung later on and you might buy a site that later you might lose hundreds of thousands and, and it's not profitable anymore. Yeah. So what we're doing is right now we're solving the site investigation problem. All those painful surveys that our clients used to have to call the suppliers, Ar uh, for archaeology, asbestos, utilities, environmentals, legals, whatever it might be. There's about 15 different surveys you always need to do. Complicated as well. You don't know which survey what to do. Basically, we've got platforms, simplifies that, upload a site, get the suppliers who are vetted. They, get, they do the work and they upload the reports and then the client is happy. That's yeah. pretty much it. So we've got a number of DMs in the room. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll be interested um, to see what your kind of next products would be. Because for, for me, from a development management perspective, um, I think anything that saves time, it works well for us because you know then we're saving money 
you know we're getting things built quicker we're, we're, we're meeting housing needs faster as well um i'm really interested in contact and i want to get to a point where we can literally like just 3d print everything like pretty much everything like that's my vision i'm like because how can we build anything faster you know to deliver sorry Sorry, no, am I throwing a grenade? Was that a grenade? That's going into the MMC room. No, 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 no. Don't open me up on that. <laughs> um, but initially, that we we tend to have that site investigation point for sure. Um, planning side of things as well. Anything that can um, make the planning process easier and more efficient, and 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 educate the committees who are making the decisions. I just really want to ask a question. Do you uh, because it's relevant to the whole point about whether the industry itself is technologically advanced or not? The government lidar data set they published, and also drones in terms of the ability to for drones to do surveys. Is that something that you're excited about? Yeah, definitely excited. One of, one of the things that that is crazy is every time you have a development, right? Yeah. The whole of London must have been surveyed so many bloody times. Yeah. yeah. Every if if someone wants to sell a piece of land, right? The buyers that are going to buy it. If they haven't done the surveys, for example, they would need to go to the utility suppliers and find out what the utilities are. It's probably been done 50 times before. There's a huge side. amount of wasted effort yeah. in the industry, yeah. from, literally from site identification all the way through yeah. to what you're talking about. Number of, think of the number of people that have all bought the same land energy title, for example. Mm. Uh, it's going to be in the hundreds, no, that's hundreds of thousands, and the amount of time it takes for people to do the same due diligence on a site. It's crazy. Yeah. On the, the, the legal tech, which we yeah. haven't even got it into, uh, same thing. Uh, if you want to do indemnity insurance, mm -hmm. if you buy and sell, there's not one indemnity insurance package, you're getting a new legal company to do that every single time. So that is a problem throughout property. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a reason that exists. You need it to be done and up to date. So, yeah. um, on on the, the search land side of things, I'm going to try and keep it different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he made some very good points, so I'll use that as a platform. Um, so the idea of search land, quite simply, is to search for land. But it, it it comes from when I was a planning consultant, which I didn't like doing. I decided to start finding land for developers because as a planner, you used to do appraisal, appraisal, appraisal. This site's bad. This site's bad. Why do you bring us these bad sites? <laughs> so it's okay. Let's flip this on its head. As a planning consultant, we're going to go out and find you sites, and then we'll tee you up take instruction and get the planning fee. That was my gateway into this. And essentially all it is, search land is saying, okay, all the data points, all the due diligence steps I needed, let's put them on one platform, one click, everything you need to know, there you go. We, so that is, it's land registry, it's planning applications, it's constraints, it's sales, it's use classes, it's developed percentage, it's local plan positions, are they feeling, are they doing well, all of that in one place. We launched something in, so we started in January last year, we launched an update in March and weren't aware of how important that was for the business, which is what we call a title lookup. This is, we take that land registry polygon data set and there's 20 million titles, freehold titles. All of those data points, planning, constraints, use class, link it to that. So you click on any title, we'll show you the full spectrum. And the point Joss was saying, you're gonna to have to kiss a lot of frogs, is it's really soul destroying. That's one of the biggest problems with site identification is your energy levels after three months just fall through the floor. Was that a bit of sympathy? <laughs> <laughs> fall through the floor. And so it's, how do you shorten that time, compress that right down to a morning's work, find 100 sites, find 50, a bit more reasonable, um, and then contact the landowners, and that's when the work begins. So we use a lot of automation. We have automated letter senders. 
Uh, well, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to bring it up earlier, but oh, I thought, no, I'll wait for now. Um, we've sent 5,000 letters to date. Uh, it's great. You have a title plan that comes with it. You make it dynamic. You can have references, title site, all these things. Because that's all the work is. And then the work begins. Mm. Then you're speaking to the landowner. Then you're getting your appraisals done. Then there's a nice handoff onto what Rencap do. Mm, um, yeah. You know, the real work begins as a housing crisis. You could pick any point on the housing crisis to solve, and that's what PropTech's lies about doing, solving problems. Um, our problem is the first bit, the bottleneck. Mm -hmm. Or you could argue an even bit point before then is actually it's like six bottlenecks. Yeah. Yeah. Before then would be planning, yeah. but, you know, one, yeah. one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that actually did bring me to another point, which was that, um, to, from my perspective, sometimes these sites can seem like a an aggregator of the data that is already existing. And um, what are you guys doing to take that to the next level to be truly innovative, in, innovative, rather than just using set data sets that already exist? Um, hopefully you enjoyed. Actually, I know you've enjoyed what you're watching. So please like, share, and subscribe. I'm Adewale Ademalake, founder at A Lake, which specialises in property development and development management. We are sponsoring the first season of the Property Development Book Club podcast, which will be out on all platforms soon. Great. So one thing I've been wanting to ask you, um, prop tech experts, is with the um, technology you have at the moment, my understanding is that you are aggregating data from public, well not necessarily public, but from other sources. Um, and first of all, am I correct in that assumption? And what are you doing next to really innovate with that data rather than just collecting other people's data? Josh, you can... Cool. Uh, forgive the horrible pun, but uh, essentially the, the foundations aren't there yet, right, for what you're talking about. The reason why is because you need, in order to work with the data to do innovative things, you need the data, mm -hmm. right? So planning applications are a, a, a no standard at all as to where you can do things. You have to do a huge amount, as you knows, to actually bring all that information together first before you can do things with it. The same with local plans, the same with land assessments and so on and so forth. So uh, it's kind of like when I first got into it, I was thinking, yeah, you know, there's so many different things we could do. When you think on the abstract, when you get to the reality, you actually need the data to then be able to do things. So we're looking at machine learning implementations and things like that, which will make things much more easy, you know, the whole standardization of the system, but you need the data to do that first, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're trying to solve almost like foundations problem number one, so we can actually build the prop tech house on top. On top yeah. yeah. That's so what we can say the data's, the data's available, it's just untidy. Yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. it, it, it's available, and then the problem is It'll take you to find available, right? Because it's available <laughs> to, like, if, if you look at a local yeah. plan and it's PDFs, yeah. right? That yeah. is a computer science problem that hasn't been solved in terms of digitizing all that information. Like that's a whole computer science mm -hmm. problem in itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so how you did that. <laughs> so the, um, the the kind of the that's where we are is that you know that problem needs to be solved first. Now I would I would suggest you know digital land the government um, agency other guys that are going to be doing that in the long term because they're the people you know, shout out to them, who hopefully will be getting the local authorities to publish across the standard. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't happen, then it's going to still be companies like us um, and Q that, that do that sort of thing. Um, and it's going, to, it's going to be costly. Like, the information should really be free. Like, it is if you go on the local authority website, it's incredibly difficult to get at. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things you could do if you have the information. But that's kind of why I think you're sort of saying what you're saying is because 
Lancer, you'll see a lot of innovation around language data, a lot of innovation around UPRN, house price data, EPCs, things like that, because the data is in such a high quality format that you can do loads of incredible things with it. But uh, a lot when it comes to the planning side of things, that's where the, the issues lie, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, so I think that's my answer to that Thank question. You. Yeah, and I'd like now to turn to the people who are working for developers or at developers. Mm -hmm. What kind of questions do you have for, like, what, what are the problems that you have that you would love these guys to be able to solve? I mean, I mean, I think there's problems, like, as already identified, there's problems at pretty much every single stage um, from a development management perspective. So we look, we take uh, a site, you know, get planning on it, design the scheme, get guys on site to construct it and then hand it over. And right from sort of planning, um, things like, it seems so small, but things like managing conditions and when conditions are discharged, um, often, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's been discharged and what hasn't so that we can proceed to the next stage of development. Um, and I'm having to ask different people, but if there was a system that kind of has that already there, we're still using Excel spreadsheets mm -hmm. to manage our conditions and things yeah. like that. So I'm really interested to hear what Remcap might have in the pipeline coming forward that will help that, that process a bit more. Yeah, awesome. And what I want to try and say is, don't look to me. <laughs> I would say if you, uh, we do solve problems and, we, and we're, we're doing our stuff, but yeah, we have our clients. But I would say if you, if you find a problem, that's your opportunity. So, that's not see, it. <laughs> <laughs> see it, test it out. But it's like you said, months—it's not months; it's years, isn't it? You really have to put yourself behind it. Is. It. Yeah, it is. It takes years to become rich, um, <laughs> but also to build something to build something amazing. And and like, um, Adwali, you know, we we met like we met about Rencap. I don't know how many years ago, but it was a complete different proposition because mm -hmm. I met with him. I met with others. I learned. You pivot. You change it. And you learn from the market. Like I didn't know how to start it. Mm. That's what I'm just saying. Like if you, if you find these opportunities, Stick explore them. Offline conversation. <laughs> 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 Step two would be get a good developer, software mm. developer. Mm. Yeah, hard to come by. They are inexpensive. Rob, what would your um, requests? <laughs> Perfect product to make my life easier. Yeah. In the industry. I think. Something start to finish where I'll just use one product throughout. So from site acquisition, you can do the planning, data synthesis. So things like doing a development appraisal, you could feed data in, comparable data feeds in, but you still have to plug that into the appraisal system, which kicks out figure. And then as you go through the process, um, more data room information could come in, it could evolve further. And then all the way to the completion of the transaction, it could change again. But mm. at the moment, that is all through a spreadsheet, Excel. Yeah. There are products out there which work, but you still have to dance between four or five applications to get to that point. Yeah, it's like different forms. And then there's other departments as well. So sales yeah. departments, procurement departments, mm. and so on, all the way to the end. One document, one software item, that would be the dream. Yeah. I think slight poison chalice in the, and it's with all technical tech stuff, you look at any sort of uh, industry that's been heavily um, disrupted and you end up with almost monopoly. You know, you yeah, look at Amazon, yeah. you look at Facebook, right? When you saw it talking like that, which, you know, it will be great for the industry to have a product like that, yeah. but hopefully, we do see it because there's so many people in the industry at the moment, but um, I think some guys was, um, were saying that they're gonna, they think there's going to be a lot of consolidation yeah. in the industry. I think one thing I would hope would happen is that you'd end up with a couple rather yeah. than yeah, just yeah, one. Um, because then you obviously with just one, it, you, you end up with probably, you know, it, it, it will be the big company that everybody uses which is 
you know, it's good, but it's not it's not great for innovation, right? Suit yeah. everyone's yeah, yeah, yeah. individual needs. Yeah. But well, I do agree with you though, that's where it will end mm. up. Um, and it's what people want. But if there are multiple contestants that work in alignment, I think yeah. what's yeah. more likely is that we're, this, this idea of software as a solution is going to the point where, and this could be one of the questions, but is, you know, as there are more entrances, are you just standing on each other's toes? Are you, yeah. are you just repeating and then wasting the customer's time? And they're like, this and then that. What's more likely is as the market matures, it's very young, especially on the side finding mm -hmm. side. I mean, it's not that much older than five years. We've only mm -hmm. been kicking around for about a year. What will happen, I think, is some consolidation, but more likely people specialise into their niches. Okay. And companies will become a lot more familiar, especially as the new generation comes in, a lot more familiar with the idea of saying, we subscribe to seven different bits of kit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their team size will probably reduce, but these kits will be very specialised. It will be site identification right through to managing discharging conditions, managing consultants, things like that. And it's just tech and heavy. So in the video, what, maybe they all talk. This yes. is a lovely idea, and but in reality, you are dealing with companies of different egos and different commercial. Yeah, so you say this, I'm, I'm going to put a, yeah, like a, is this a grenade? We yeah, have? yeah. I don't know if this is quite a grenade, <laughs> but. <laughs> um, but. But I, my understanding is this is actually what blockchain will be able to do. Like, blockchain is creating. Um, a standardization of data that will be completely transferable across different applications. So I think that might actually be like a way bigger topic that it will take way longer to come. Um, but I think that's something that we should all start to like educate ourselves on and start thinking so about. tokenizing real estate. Yeah, m maybe, but just for in a very simple like uh, exp explanation at the moment, like if you have a, a wallet um, with Ethereum in it, you can use that in multiple, so you could use that to play a game in one aspect, you could use it to buy real estate in the metaverse, mm. in another aspect, <laughs> but it's all the same wallet effectively. Mm -hmm. And so that then gets rid of that problem, like everyone can just do their own applications that do a special different thing, but then the data that is coming through that is actually like, it is in a single format, yeah, yeah. but it's also... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we need to overcomplicate it. Yeah, yeah. It, there's two things that are going to happen, which is what's already been discussed. There's either consolidation or there's partnerships. Mm. And that, that'll be it. There'll be the providers at each individual stage. If someone wants to sell, there's a consolidation. If they don't, and whatever the partnership might be, there'll be a partnership, like you yeah. said. Um, and you'll be able to hopefully go through that development management process. The one problem is, we all know development management is not linear. Mm. It splits into different tributaries depending on what you're doing. You could do um, traditional construction, you could do MMC, you could do uh, printed concrete, houses, whatever it might be. And each one, there's not going to be one solution that can yeah. do all of that stuff. So it's going to be quite complicated. Yeah, that's a good point. I yeah, and I, I, I think collaboration is going to be key. And I think when we look at availability of data, I do think. Um, the, the real answer is just how, how this information shared. Uh, everyone mm. is very protective, everyone is kind of competing with each other and I think for it to really flourish and for it to really grow, uh, collaboration is going to be key. Mm. Um, I think it's one of the key blockers at the moment in terms of um, growth of, of, of tech. For me already, the three guys here from the expert sort of prop tech space are already doing huge, huge studies to break down the barriers to entry because as you said just earlier about how difficult it is to access, to dissect, to understand that information, 
you might have very large developers who have a team to find land, have a team to look at planning. And actually, somebody like you know, myself who's dabbling in thinking about property development you know, whilst working in a larger industry is able to very quickly, and I used to do this very manually, I have my Google Maps loaded, I have planning portals loaded, and I have an Excel spreadsheet loaded. Mm -hmm. And this was, this was like, you know, yeah. several years ago. <laughs> and then I was like, surely this is insane. And I yeah. started Googling, came across one place, Nimbus. Then I went to Land Insight. And, and, and the hell was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't heard, of, I haven't heard of, I hadn't, uh, until today, I hadn't heard of you guys. But I see it as like, if you compare it to, let's say, the stock market, the people who were able to access that five, ten years ago to people who are able to access it now, mm -hmm. The tech has broken the barrier yeah. to the entrance to that market. Mm -hmm. It's made it available, uh, and we always talk about how much of an opportunity the property and the housing crisis is, is for the small developer and the medium mm -hmm. developer. I think it technology really, like this is giving birth to new industries. It's, it's the great yeah. equalizer. Technology. Yeah. Yeah. The, numbers, the numbers on this are 40 years ago, uh, I think it's two in five, hmm. two in seven homes were built by SMEs, right? Your definition of SME is to build a smaller company and smaller units per year. Now it's one in seven. And this country, we have big dependence on your mass home deliverers, people really just churning out those big numbers. New Garden Villages are now a thing again for the last few years. Mm. Um, and so tech, yeah, the great equalizer. We can, you know, it's the, the, the sort of cost of these things that mean you could have a, you know, monthly, a yearly cost of a couple thousand pounds and effectively compete. That's competitive yeah. advantage on that. So this brings um, to quite a big question, which is what actually is PropTech? What is a, you know, is, are all companies now technology companies? Should they be? Um, I use the example of my own company. So we uh, provide on-demand access to workspace. So we are an app and the technology is key to how we work, obviously. But actually, I rarely ever identify myself as someone who's working in prop tech because what I'm doing all day is building relationships with people to join the app. I'm helping our customers have a really wonderful experience. And I see customer experience as one of our you know, strengths far more than I see technology. So my question really to, I suppose, everyone is, is like what actually is prop tech? Is it um, just a company in the property industry that happens to use a lot of tech, or does it have a more nuanced um, definition? I can I can tell this one. I'll keep it super vague. PropTech, <laughs> as as having this conversation with my um, co-founder, shout out to Arthur Goodhart, wherever you are. Um, it is very simply, I see it because I don't like the term PropTech. It is information that can be you know data, spatial, whatever, technology that can be software, hardware. For us, it's software and uh, real estate built environment. That's all it is. That's the umbrella. That's why it's not That's it. That's it. Find that definition. Uh, using Google Maps Street View to find a home or somewhere to build yeah, is PropTech. Yeah. That's not PropTech. So I don't like the term PropTech as a whole. Gunnola, do you have an opinion on, on this? Uh, Yes. <laughs> um, where do I begin? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it should be closed off so tightly and protected, but um, and Andrew Baum from Oxford University um, Business School, he tried, well, he did, he defined what his view of prop tech was, and the industry kind of seems to have accepted that. Um, I can't remember it, so I won't, I won't tell you now. <laughs> but Comtech is very separated from it, which I didn't like. I feel like Comtech is part of prop tech. Yeah, I agree. Um, for me, it's 
are you a business in this built environment space? As Hugh says, that is mainly tech based, right? So it's not one of the big boys with 1% playing around with some technology. Mm. It's are you 90% technology and, and in this space? That, that's where I, what I see kind of the more traditional prop tech. Con tech, on the other hand, is very much more difficult to define because it's it could be MMC manufacturers, it could be BIM, it could be um, digital twins, everything we've discussed. So that one's a little bit a little bit trickier, but, yeah, but good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you say are we tech companies? It's it's interesting because when I look at the direction that I think surveying specifically quantity surveying is mm-hmm. going in, you know, it's all about data, right? We look we look uh, do a lot of benchmarking, you know. Uh, benchmarking one project, looking at tender tender returns on a number of projects, looking at inflation, it's all numbers, it's all data. Uh, the point I made before about availability of data means, you know, I'm as valuable as the amount of data that I have, mm-hmm. the information that I've got, and, and how I, how I, yeah, how I utilize that. Right, yeah. um, I, I disagree that if you're a big corporate company, having worked at a number of corporate companies before, <laughs> but if you're providing a service that delivers content, prop tech, that you're not you 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 you're not in the same in the same space as someone who, you know, is maybe defined as um, you say ninety percent. What was it? Ninety percent of. Um, Basically, you're, yeah. you're mainly tech. You're rather mainly than tech than. rather than because I, I think I think whilst it's good that there are outsiders coming in, you know, all of this is doing amazing things. I won't say they're totally outsiders, but they're doing a lot of they're providing the solutions for yeah. for us. I do think that it's, it's it's valuable. And you, Gonzalez, are here who have been on the other side and have seen the problems and are, and are stepping out of it. So um, I think that we've all got a role to play. <laughs> yeah, I do think sure. that the, the availability of information and we talked about open sourcing. Um, it, it is key because there's, there shouldn't be a reason why, you know, we've talked about everything we've talked about, but if there's this digital twin that tells us that there's assets, and we've got, you know, it just can take all, all the way through to the ESG kind of advantages. Um, but however, if you, <laughs> if, if that information was easily available, then I, like I say, the collaboration that will allow me to know from the outset what, so, so might make you a bit redundant, but, <laughs> but but we know what you know what surveys are because the information is built into the digital twin all the way through to asset management yeah. and everything that um, Amandeep was talking about uh, about preempting issues um, and and let, let's talk about it right. So finally, I think I think there's a big big opportunity on on the maintenance side, and I think everyone yeah. looks at capex, right? Capex is always key, but when you look at what the what, what the opex opportunity is, when yeah. you think of this asset being over a, a 20, 25 year, you know that's where I think the real opportunity is, and that's where I feel uh, digital twins is really going to make a big difference yeah. in our industry. I just think it. I mean, it's a buzzword. Yeah. Um, you. I don't see what relevance it has to. It, you know, at the end of the day, maybe if you need to classify your business to an investor or something, that's where you use it. But if I describe it to a client, I, I don't use the word prop tech ever. But you're a tech uh, company. Then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I just talk about the product. Well. <laughs> yeah. I literally just say this is the product. This is what it would do for you. Um, yeah, that's my two cents. Thanks, Joss. Right, so now me to conclude. Um, well thank you all it's been quite a far-ranging conversation between you know actually having to go right down to the core data you know that's why 
prop tech perhaps hasn't come as far as we would have hoped is because we don't yet have that really granular data, but we have the people here who are building it. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Property Development Book Club, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.